Okay. I'm tired. I put it in. You can see where the floor ends. Oh, yeah. Look at that. I, I, I put it in half of it. I'm tired. Can't do it. This never ends. Anyway, what's going on with you, my friend? Nothing. I just made some, uh, I did something a little different today. Um, I'm kind of like, you know, even when I make the, uh, the, uh, the cheap and easy shit at home, I try to spruce it up a little bit. So I did some, uh, bacon, chicken, mac and cheese. And I said, like, a box of, like, you know, shells and packet cheese from Whole Foods or whatever. And, uh, you know, got some chicken going, threw some lime on it, got some bacon going. Uh, and then, either, like, the best part about it is I threw some brie into uh, oh, the cheese brie. right at the end there. Oh, brie is it, always good. Oh, my God. It, it just brought so much to it. I've been shopping at Whole Foods lately. And, you know, I, it's a noticeable increase in price. I'm not really stoked about it. I probably have to do it a little less often. But... I've been buying a loaf of bread from there and a new wedge of cheese from there every week, and God damn has that changed my life. Yeah, I, I mean, that's the thing, is if you go, you typically got to get something, a, a couple of things. You can't you can't load up there unless you're making, like, upwards of, I don't know, I don't know what the number yeah, is, but it, it, you, 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 you got to be, be making some money. Yeah, um, I fucked up, too, and I just did, like, the main grocery shopping there the other day and spent, like, a whole paycheck. <laughs> Yeah, but um, so I went back to my regular grocery store today, uh, good old Jewel Osco, the crown jewel of Chicago, in fact, um, and I picked up a beer that I've never seen before, and it's from Buckle Dam Brewing Company. I'm trying to see. It's brewed in Illinois. Um, it features a basketball player. Uh, as the name of the beer. Do you know which basketball player this may be? No longer in the league. Can you give me the name of that again? Buckle, you're not going to Google it, are you? No. Uh, it's Buckle Down Brewing. You get three guesses here. Uh, and the can is in Sonic's Colors. And hold on, let me, I'll give you, I'll see if I can give you one hint here. Uh... Buckle Down Brewing Company, NBA player as the name of the beer uh, in Sonic's Colors. And the player is featured on there. Played for them. I'm killing it. I don't think I can read this up. He played for the team from 1985 to 1991. Hmm. And it's not brewed in Portland or anything either. It, or, uh, I'm sorry, Seattle, Portland, Jesus Christ. Um, uh, it's brewed in Illinois, strangely enough. But. 1985 to 1991, he scored a lot over that time. Got some rebounds. Um, managed to stay in the league until 1998, retired with the New Jersey Nets. Uh, overall, he played six seasons in Seattle, uh, 408 games, averaged 20.7 points a game, seven rebounds. Is it Sean Kemp? It's not Sean Kemp. He played a year for the New York Knicks, too, in 1991 oh. to 1992. Who the fuck is this? Um, 
He's gonna give it to you. X gonna give it to you. I I I I got the X gonna give it to you reference, and I still don't understand this. Uh, Are you done? Are you out? No, I, I I let me rack my brain You're for two more seconds. You're too fucking petty can... to tap out, but I love it. Um. No, I, no, because nobody I'm thinking of. I can think of some Sonics players in that time span that weren't like Gary Payton or Sean Kemp, but nobody starts with an X. Nobody starts who, with an X over that time. Who is it? It's Xavier McDaniel. They named it. They named a beer after Xavier McDaniel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they fucking did, and I'm about to crack it. Let's see how it tastes. IPA. Oh, you know, it's delicious. I have now Googled him, mm-hmm. and I went through his basketball reference. Mm-hmm. I mean, he put up some numbers. Yeah, man. I, I, I've, always, I've always kind of wanted an Xavier McDaniel jersey. I don't know why. I, I see it pop up from time to time, and it's, it's, for some reason it's kind of permeated itself into like my uh, his, collection. I'd like his, to second, his second season, he averaged 23 points, 8.6 rebounds. 2.5 assists, a steal and a half, half a block. I mean, he shot... He was out of the NBA before that. Or are you talking about his last uh, Seattle season? Or are you talking about his last as a whole? No, uh, his second season in the NBA in Seattle. Oh, his second I mean, season. I, I mean, he put up... No, I mean, in Seattle as a whole, he put up numbers. But that his second and third seasons are like the eye poppers. I, I, I don't understand. Wow. All right. This is, this is a good way to start the pod. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I literally... I bought it... Ten minutes ago, and did you uh, have you looked up the beer? I have. I haven't found it. Yeah, you haven't seen it. Uh, Buckle Dam Brewery. No, I, I googled them, and I and then I maybe my Google searches are not. That net neutrality, man. You got a silhouette of X on the on the front of it, and he's looking pretty buff. This is this is prime Xavier McDaniel on this can, and the taste is flavorful too. Um, at this point, I think Buckle Down should sponsor us. Oh, found it. Mm. That is an attractive can. That's a strong beer, too. What's that? So that's a strong beer, too. It's a, What is that, 10%? It's a 10, no, it's 7.5. Jesus Christ, scared the shit out of me. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to the TKW Podcast. I'm Anthony Corbo, and that's Kyle Maggio. Say hello, Kyle. What's going on, buddy? Good to be back with you. It's good to be back. Good to be back. A little bit of a break, much-needed break in there. Regular season gets a little crazy after a while. And let's face it, I don't think we were missing all that much along the way. Um, But shouts to uh, Matt Spendley for getting his part of the TKW Podcast underway. Uh, still should be a lot more to come, some more developments with that in the coming weeks, but it's just good to hear him on the airwaves. Yeah. Broad yeah. Uh, pod it, waves. Good to hear yeah. him in the pod, uh, you know, regularly. It's, it was a nice change of pace to having 
someone who's significantly smarter than we are on the podcast. So yeah, I'm sure I'm sure our listeners enjoyed that. Uh, I enjoyed it. Matt's been killing it. So mm-hmm. uh, I thoroughly enjoy having him doing the pods. And uh, like Anthony said, we have more on that coming soon. So stay tuned. Just breaks things up nicely. You know, I get yeah, tired of hearing he's myself also just talk really good at what he does, so he I'm, I'm just happy. A phenom, that guy. Uh, so, boy, Matt Spendley, listen, uh, usually, I think we've been trying to get it up on uh, Tuesdays, but it's been going up on Wednesdays lately. Uh, end, of the, end of the season's been a little funky for us Yeah, yeah. as a whole, but we're, what we'll, are you going to do? Yeah, we'll get back there. You know, summertime's coming up. We're going to have some fun with this. Uh, we're going to be watching lots of Yankees, of course, so I'm sure that'll bleed right on in here. Uh, hopefully get some more friends on the show in the coming weeks too. So, uh, yeah, it'd be fun. It'd be a good summer. Um, all right. So let's just briefly run through a couple of the, couple of the heavy hitters that's been going on the last couple of weeks. I think there's, there's two big schools of thought that Knicks fans have been going through right now. The first one and probably the most prominent, or I guess we can just say the most optimistic one is, uh, Trey Iverson. Uh, Alan Burke, whatever you want to call him. Alan Burke sounds way too much like an accountant. But Trey Burke has been just tearing it up out there for the Knicks. Uh, he's finally getting starts. Uh, Moody A has just proven to be that bad. Um, but yeah. What have you, what have you liked that you've seen from Trey Burke so far? Because just like my quick, I guess, you know, my expectations from based on what I had seen with him, uh, with Utah and the Wizards was he was just a sort of a clunky combo guard who obviously a score first guard, but I just felt like he wasn't good enough at the scoring part and there wasn't another part after that. So I just sort of expected a, a, a good scoring guard to come in and he's kind of done a little both, but what yeah. have you seen? See, here's the thing I think that changed with Trey Burke is that he finally just accepted himself. You know, like, he was the kind of guy who he, you know, he was that clunky combo guard. He didn't quite know where to put him. Uh, you know, he's about average height for, for a point guard, but didn't quite fit that same position. He was a scoring guard. Uh, we know that teams are fairly adverse to that right now in developing. It hasn't always been easy on those kinds of players, but I think his biggest thing was he was just kind of took a step back, you know, went through the G League system, Westchester Knicks and all that. Uh, you know, refined his game in the sense that not to try to do what everybody else is doing in the NBA, but to kind of, you know, try to do it his own way, try to take a little bit from AI's game, I guess, you know, in a lot of ways, it's more than just the, uh, the style, but it's, it's, it's cool. He's managed to adapt it. I don't know how long-term it's going to translate. I don't know if he's going to be able to do this, you know, any, in any kind of long-term sense, or if the Knicks go back to the playoffs anytime soon, if he'll be around for that, but but right now it's fun. And I've just, I've just felt like he's, he's, he's looked pretty dynamic out there. Yeah. I, I mean, a couple of things that I've noticed is besides the obvious, you know, just as a whole saying he's been playing better. I think his assist rate has gotten up astronomically from where he was. I saw a stat. I don't want to butcher the stat. But I just remember it was like him and two other guys, and the two other guys were like LeBron and someone else to to score a certain amount of points while having an assist rate uh, of whatever it was. I gotta find it. I'll tweet it out. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, he's he's passing better. It just seems like he's very patient. You know, whereas in Utah and with Washington, it seems like he was just trying to force it whenever he got his touches. And here it seems like he's taking his time. I think one of the good examples of that was the other night in uh, the game against the Sixers. He he came off the screen going towards the right side. And instead of just putting his head down and barreling towards the basket, he, you know, moved the ball over his left hand, starts dribbling uh, sort of horizontally. And he goes right across the top of the key and then bead steps out. And then he pulls back like he's, you know, going to go either to the right or for a jumper. So he gets in bead to come up out of position. And this is, you know, healthy, potentially defensive player of the year candidate, Joel Embiid, like just a terror defensively. And he's not just, you know, we all know who Joel Embiid is. He's not just waiting around the rim. Like he can guard you on the perimeter. So he's waiting for Trey Burke. Trey Burke shakes him up a little bit with the hesitation and then goes right back left, finishes with this nice little scoop uh, layup. And I was like, those are those little things that you want to see, you know, in, in terms of development from guys, especially once they're trying to make their way back into the league and find a home. It's like, those are the encouraging things where, you, you know, you're not just forcing it. I, I don't know. I mean, I've liked that. Um, it's no, but it's been it's been a joy to watch. It really yeah, is. that's kind of what I mean in large part. Like he refined his game, and I think that's a great example that you bring up there too. Um, where he's not just you know he's taking on the bigger talents in the league. He's taking on the Joel Embiid's. He's taking all these guys, and he's putting to the test what he's worked on. He's putting to the test, you know, getting you know how he looks at the rim. I think that's probably what's impressed me the most. Is just he's not just getting to the rim. He seems to be getting better at finishing at the rim. Now, two two things. The, the last thing I want to say about his development is um, I did read one thing that he had a apparently when he was in Utah and even in Washington, he had, I guess, a difficulty adapting to the NBA lifestyle. So he had a lot of uh, it, it didn't really allude to him partying or whatever, but just a lot of late nights. Just he couldn't adjust with the schedule, the bad sleep cycle. He wasn't in the greatest shape. And, you know, since kind of getting humbled and having to earn his bones in the G League again, he's sort of, you know, he's he is noticeably in better shape to begin with. But besides that, it, you know, there's all sorts of data showing the benefits of having a, a proper sleep cycle and the benefit to getting the right sleep consistently. And just kind of maybe that could be another step. Just touching yeah. on that story right earlier where, you know, what this sounds like to me. It sounds like he was in his late, his early twenties. That's bingo. It sounds like he's me. Like (laughs) I don't get enough sleep. I don't, I'm not entirely in shape. I, you know, I understand he's an NBA player. He's doing all these things, but it's like, you're young. He's a, he's a young dude. You know, people have been talking about this a lot this week, especially, you know, with the talk of the tournament going on and looking at young players there and just watching you know, who's going to be, you know, especially with the decommittal from uh, from Syracuse. Well, uh, what was that player's name? Do you have it on hand? I don't have it on hand. I just remember yeah. Bailey was crushed. Yeah, I haven't uh, read too much into it. But, you know, it's just like these guys are young and, you know, they're trying to do what's best for them. But at the same time, they're going to do, you know, the things that fucking kids do. And you do when you're young and you're you know, just becoming an adult. You're getting into the league like this and shit like. Yeah, he's he's 25 now, 
and he's probably, you know, he's kind of burned out enough times to realize these are things that are very easily fixable that he could do. Um, and if that's what's helping him out, then like, God bless then it's paid off in dividends for him. So now my question to you, Anthony is, do you, I know some of us in the group chat are starting to be, you know, starting to get sold on Trey Burke potentially being a, a starting guard. And I'm saying a starting guard loosely because the Knicks have been trotting out a bevy of two guard sets. So I don't want to say he's the point guard of the future or the shooting guard of the future. I'm just going to say some of us have said that he's potentially a guard of the future, a starting guard. Do you see that? Or do you just sort of consider it found money that, you know, Hey, we, we got a former lottery pick who's finally taking himself seriously. You know, I I still don't think that maybe he's going to pan out as a starter, but maybe he's, a super sixth man. Maybe that's, you know, sort of a J.R. Smith. Maybe that's what his ceiling is. What do you think? I kind of lean a lot more in the second direction there, but I'll I'll look at it like this. You know, for the rest of this year, he's getting, like, basically in my mind, he's getting equal shot as Moody Gay. Like, I don't picture... Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I don't picture, you know, I definitely don't picture both of them being around long-term. But, you know, I just think that... So far, Trey Burke has proven to be obviously the most dominant of the two of them. And he's proven to that he could definitely be a starting guard next year. It's so hard to predict what's going to happen past that. And it's even kind of hard to predict next year, too, because we don't know what the fuck's going to happen with him in a sec. Um, so I, I more look at him. I think J.R. Smith is a pretty good comparison. Their games don't exactly line up. But yeah, yeah, I don't mean in terms of maybe the skill set of the games, just uh, a, a very broadly uh, a scorer who's primarily just coming off the bench. He's he's there to mix it up, make things happen. Yeah. And that's that's probably realistically if the next rebuild goes ideally from this point and we get KP back in good shape and this draft pick really pans out this year. And, you know, Frankie pans out and all these ifs come true. I could see Trey Burke being like, you know, a solid contributor to a, you know, probably off the bench on a, you know, first round exit playoff team that the Knicks could build into something more. He'll probably, if they keep him around and he manages to find, you know, he manages to stick with the team for a couple of years. It all depends on his contract and all that. But, you know, I could see him being used as a bigger piece down the line. I don't see him being like, a cog in anything that leads to like long-term greatness for the Knicks, but I can see him being a piece that gets him there. No, uh, but, but on that point too, I mean, one of the greatest issues that the Carmelo Anthony teams had was there was no depth. That's why the 2012, 2013 team was so successful, not because they were maybe anything out of the ordinary in terms of a good team, but they were a, a good team with a good, core, you know, of starters. And then they actually had some, right. some depth and they had some vets and, you know, pretty much before that. And after that, it was bare bones. I mean, the, when we got, you know, Carmelo here after the trade, I remember we were relying on Anthony Carter mm-hmm. for big minutes. I mean, you know, we had guys like Ronnie Terry who, you know, good, respectable players, but that's not, you know, let me ask I, you I, something I, real quick. What? Um, how ba- how deep can you bury Trey Burke on your bench before he's not effective anymore? Like, 
for a guy of his skill set, he he really does. You know, he re, he's a guy who relies on the ball being in his hands. And this year, we have no problem with with us doing that. And you know, his assist rate is up, and everything you're saying like that too. Like he's good; he can get the ball into other people's hands too. But he does need the ball in his hands in order to be effective. Yeah, um, I, I just I, I wonder, mean, I... like, if you reduce his minutes down to like, you know, he's your eighth or ninth man off the bench, and you, you know, you give him 15 minutes a night or something like that. Is he still? Can he still bring what he what he brings to the table now? Honestly, I don't think so. Yeah, that, I, that's I what, that's why I can't see him being a like a you know piece or a vital piece or whatever you want to call him in any kind of you know big Knicks team to come. Yeah, I, I mean that's why you know obviously I, I think both of us always hope when we say things like that that you know we hope we're wrong. We hope like oh yeah, I mean it'd be awesome if Trey Burke you know continued this torrid stretch in, into next season and beyond and actually you know proved he was a a, a legit you know, top tier point guard, like maybe his, his uh, latest play has been showing. Obviously we we'd root for that, but um, I, I just, you know, I, I don't want to get carried away either. This is, I, I think a hot stretch for a motivated player um, where he's getting sort of ample opportunity to yeah. do what he needs to do. So, and we've seen this before. We just did point guard rankings a couple of weeks ago. Right. Like we saw Alexi spread to get hot for half of, you know, half a season too. Like I, we don't know if this will continue, but I think he's shown, you know, a pretty good, I think he's shown us enough where we can relatively predict that it might happen in the future. still. like, he might be able to keep this going into next year and possibly further, but we just don't know yet. Now the the last thing before we move on into um, our our rankings here. Well, we got one you, more thing after that too. Okay, yeah, I mean you mentioned Emmanuel Moutier. I just wanted to touch on something Zach Lowe wrote earlier today. Uh, we we brought it up in the group chat, but um, basically he says he's you know overall been terrible. I think we all knew that he's he's just not been good. He's simply not a good player to this point in his career, um, but. Zach Lowe brought up one little interesting thing. So I just want to ask you if it's something you're actually encouraged with, or you just think it's sort of a fluke. So he mentions that, you know, while Moody has been mostly awful in the NBA, um, where, where is it? He says, but there is an interesting player in there somewhere. He shot well on catch and shoot threes last season. He's big and fast enough to get where he wants to go. His vision is ahead of his judgment which seems like a accurate thing for a lot of young players, but I digress. Now, this is the interesting thing. He said he's shooting 68% at the rim as a Nick blowing away his ugly career numbers. So I don't know offhand what his rim, um, rim numbers were, but I think I remember JB posting something up and they were like, God awful, like under 50%. So a, He's played what eighteen or so, twenty or so games with the Knicks thus far. So a an uptick of almost twenty percent has to be 
I mean, that has to be some sort of a fluke, in my opinion. Is this something that you're encouraged by, that you believe in in any Here's facet? Here's the deal. One, I'm still perfectly fine with getting Emmanuel Moody get the fuck out of here. Um, now, it's not going to happen. He's got a decent contract for next year. But it's, I, I'm, I'm not encouraged. Because didn't he, didn't he shoot like pretty incredibly from the corner in Denver, too? And he's just not yes. been able to bring that over to the Knicks in any, any sense or any form? Correct, though, I will at least say this. Hornacek's Hornacek scheme this is does, not, d- does not allow. It just simply does not allow for, for three-point shooting as a whole. And it, for sure, does not allow for corner three-point shooting. So remember, I want to be fair. While he has shot corner three-point shots, it's not like, you know, it's schematically this offense is optimized for that. Sure, and that's fine. But schematically, this offense is a little bit more geared towards getting to the rim in that sense. And, you know, if that's the one good thing that he's done in New York so far, then that's fine. But, you know, we have Trey Burke. We have we had Derrick Rose last year. You know, in probably a slightly more versatile sense at the moment, we have Frank Nielakina. Like, these are all guys who are going to rely on getting to the rim. Like, that's kind of just a redundant uh, skill set on this team at this point. I don't know. I, I Yeah, I think maybe he'll be effective. Like, I, I think he'll find a role in the NBA. Like, I think he will grow into something. But, and I think he's, you know, I think he's trying to, which is, which is nice to see. Like, I think he's actually trying to figure out what he is as a, as a player. You can hear, you know, in the way he talks, you can, you know, he, he, he's getting, he's trying to make the most of his opportunities but I just don't think he knows, you know, what he is essentially. Um, so yeah, until then, I think he's just going to get thrown into schemes. He's going to, you know, we're going to see fluky sets. We're going to see him be good at one thing for a stretch and, you know, another for a different stretch. But, you know, as long as he keeps on moving around the league and, you know, you know, the schemes keep on changing around him. I mean, how many different, um, you know, how many different coaches did he have in Denver? How many, you know, he's probably going to go on to a second coach here with the Knicks. Like, he's kind of suffered from not necessarily having a steady scheme that he can go to. But, you know, when you're a system player, I guess, as he's trying to develop into, it, it's hard to do when you don't, when you're not versatile enough. Yeah, I think he had Brian Shaw his first year, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken, and Mike Malone thereafter. Right, so and he then... could very well, by before the end of his rookie contract, be on four head coaches, depending on what pans out for sec this year. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's actually a great place to segue. Let's, uh, I, I just want to get through a little bit of this Jeff Hornacek talk here. I know Matt talked about it on uh, Wednesday. I think that came out with uh, Nick's wall writer, Michael Corvo. Um, and I, I just kind of want to know, I know that the, can, you know, the, the usual suspects of candidates have been popping up out there. Uh, but can we have a fairly educated conversation on Nick's coaching right now and what we should do this summer? Yeah, I mean, I, I was going back and forth on Twitter with a couple of people um, basically this week since the pod went out and kind of stirred up the conversation. Um, I'm just going to get it on record now. Um, again, I, I do not, under any circumstances, want Mark Jackson. I do not under any circumstances want Doc Rivers. I don't 
I don't think Doc Rivers is nearly the the coach that Jackson is. I think Rivers is a better coach. Um, I don't I don't know that he'd be interested in a rebuild, and I don't know that I think he's going to work well with this roster. Yeah, neither. Um, Mark Jackson, I can kind of understand for a rebuild because he kind of did a lot of that with the Warriors. But beyond that, I I don't. I I, I just don't. Um, a couple of the names that I like, I think it's um, David Blatt to me is probably the most interesting one, just given definitely offensive prowess that I don't think he really got a fair shake with showing off in Cleveland. I think he was a fine coach. Uh, How do you think he would handle a rebuild? Well, I kind of think he'd welcome it because his first season, uh, he signed on to coach the Cavs that before LeBron came back, that was Kyrie Irving, and uh, they had just drafted Andrew Wiggins before the love trade. So he signed on for a rebuild in Cleveland with a young point guard, you know, Andrew Wiggins, a young shooting guard, and basically LeBron signed almost immediately after that. And they got Wiggins out of there for Kevin Love, and LeBron was back in town, and suddenly, you know, and it's not an indictment against LeBron, who's probably the smartest basketball player IQ wise that has ever lived, but you can't but he really operate control a team. Like that yeah, I mean, fired. It was time for LeBron to uh, resume coaching. Ab- absolutely. So that's what I'm saying. It's not an indictment against black, uh, black, but I, I think he did sign on with the intent to rebuild and kind of show his chops. And he didn't get a fair shake at, at doing that and developing guys that he, he probably believed he could. So um, I think he would be open to a rebuild. And I think offensively from all the tape that I've watched on, um, you know, some of the plays that he's gotten drawn up when he was in Cleveland, but a lot of the stuff that he's done overseas, they're creative sets. And I don't know. I just think that's kind of what we need. One of the things that you and I always complain about on these pods is, you know, the lack of getting KP creative and open looks and, I remember one the one pot after one of the Bulls losses because there was I think four um, or three anyway, but was that Hoiberg was getting Laurie Markkinen like a zillion open looks. They were running Markkinen off I don't know how many screens they were getting him open looks from three, and we were just like flabbergasted. Like that's of course what the Knicks should be doing with KP, and we never see that. It's basically mellow 2.0. They just dump it into him and let him go to work. And that's not how we need to operate any offense. That's not how you operate offense as a whole in 2018. So I think with Blatt, we can get some of that back. Do you think the European connection would have any kind of, uh, yeah, like, all right, let me, let me, let me back that up for a second there. KP really needs a coach that's going to be able to work around him, right? Like, that's the most important thing is, is finding a coach that's going to be able to bring KP to the next level when he gets back and really, you know, be able to work with Kristaps as he transforms his game as he returns, but also be able to really, really showcase him. Um, obviously, David Blatt has a lot of experience overseas. Um, you know, has played overseas for you know a number of years, about nine years or even longer. I'm sorry, and has coached over there for you know decades at this point. Um, do you think that that's a move that KP could really get behind? Do you think there's any kind of 
you know, strategy. We've we have often talked up the Euronics on the show, and now you know, getting a lot of guys from a lot of different experience from overseas over there can help build a connection. Um, do you think that that's something we could find from David Blatt as well? I think so. I think cultural impact is very, very important. I, I mean, that's why, you know, honestly, when the Yankees were looking for their next manager after they, they let Joe Girardi go, I was, um, you know, really honestly praying that we hired Carlos Beltran. You know, I, I I thought, you know, the game's changing. You have a lot of Hispanic players in Major League Baseball now. You know, obviously the Yankees roster has uh, a ton of players from there. And it was like, to me, I thought it was a no-brainer. You, you get a youngish coach who had, was a cultural fit. And I just thought that would be so important. So to answer your question, yeah, I, I I don't want to like overstate it either, but I, I think it's one thing that kind of goes under the radar. I, I think everyone looks a little bit too hard at X's and O's and forgets that you got to win people over too. You got to make people want to play for you. And if some of these guys, you know, from overseas see that, you know, it's not from the same exact country, but you know, well, you know, he's someone who's also not from America. It, it could help. It could help. And obviously Blatt's coached, you know, different European leagues. So, he's had a ton of different players come through those leagues from all over the place. So yeah, I think he would do very well culturally with those players here. Yeah. This guy, I mean, this guy's coached in Israel. He's coached in Russia. He's coached in, coached in Italy. He's, you mm-hmm. know, he's been all over the place. So yeah. I, and I think that, you know, the effect of coaching is not necessarily super uh, defined either. Like there, yeah, there's a lot of schemes. There's a little, you know, there's like you're saying, the X's and O's. There's, you know, a coach has to know how to use his players effectively. I'm not saying that they don't at all. But yeah, a lot of what it comes down to is the only way you're going to be build that trust in your coach's scheme is if you can relate to them. And so, yeah, I mean, just to kind of kind of leave it there, I think that David Blatt's a really good option. Uh, the only other name that I've been hearing pop up quite a bit is uh, David Fisdale. I like Fizdale because it, it's more of a philosophy thing. I know he was a heavy analytics guy, which which helps. But philosophy-wise, it was that and the fact that he really wanted to play small. Like in Memphis, that's one reason that him and Marc Gasol kind of got into it was because Gasol not necessarily took a back seat, but he took a, a little bit of a lesser role so that, you know, Fizdale could trot out some smaller lineups and – I just felt like, well, that that kind of bodes perfectly well for what we wanted to do here with KP moving to the five. Right. It sounds like if that's what you're dreaming for, then Fizdale is your guy. Yeah. Um. Okay. Anything else to say here? No, we can move on. change the game on how I wanted to do this a little bit, Kyle. Um, instead of... I'm a little underprepared. I'm not going to lie. Instead of doing rookie rankings, kind of like how we were talking, I kind of want to go through. I opened up. I have every uh, Knicks draft pick in the last couple of years. 
Um, and then we'll spring it, sprinkle in some uh, notable rookies over the last few years too. But I have open right now every Knicks draft pick who's still active in the NBA. Uh, so this goes back until 2004. Or I guess anyone from the last player who's active in the NBA currently from 2004 onwards. So we're going to take a look at these guys. We're going to see, you know, we're going to reminisce a little bit, going on a nostalgia trip about how, you know, they perform with the team during their time. And then I want to kind of come to the conclusion of whether they gave the Knicks their best years or if they uh, got, you know, they got better as they went on or if they got worse or what have you from there. So are you good? You good with this game? You know what I'm doing here? Yeah, that works. All right. Then let's do it. 2004 is the last Knicks draft pick who is still in the league and playing today. Uh, Still playing pretty well today, too. Shooting 38% from three this year is Trevor Anthony Ariza. Um, 6'8", 215 pounds. I'm not going to do that for every player. I'm just reading through basketball reference now. Um, We did not get enough out of Trevor Ariza. No, but that was during that... If I'm not mistaken, the Isaiah tenure. Right. This is uh, Nick's playoff run in 2005, but yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah. It was that lone, lone squeeze, you know, sneak into the playoffs and everything else. Was just I think that's when they played the Nets in the first round. I yeah. think they got swept. Yeah. Um, no, they did. They did. So, no, he did not give us his best years. Right. So um, I'm looking at them right now. Young. He's a bit of a late bloomer, too. Um, yeah. I mean, he sort of. I wouldn't say spotty, but he's very, I don't know. I mean, he's like your prototypical glue guy. Like wherever Mm -hmm. he goes, it just seems like he's that little X factor guy that could help put you over the edge. Like in Los Angeles, I think he was there. What? 2000 in LA. He was there in 2009. Yeah. That final run, or I guess that title win. Yeah. And I remember he, if I'm not mistaken, I, I could be, but I feel like, in those Western Conference Finals against the Nuggets, I felt like he was a monster just defensively. Just mm-hmm. so I mean, that's so always no, been what, he, what can get him through. Like even if he's having a bit of a down year offensively, if he's not quite in the scheme where he needs to go to. Like he's a guy you can count on to actually give you some real defense. Like he, this is the true D, D, three and D guy. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, no, we we did not at all get, and it's sad because. He gave a lot of a lot of teams good years, you yeah. know. He 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 had some good years with Orlando, uh, L.A. Obviously, wasn't there too too long, but yeah, I think I feel like Houston's where he's really been maximized. Yeah, like Houston I mean, has his, figured his, out where second, to use this guy. Second stint for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, but he, I just feel like wherever he's gone, he's just had just a, a good overall impact. He's he's never been the main option. Or even the second option, or, or even really the third option. He he just sort of is the scraps guy. Like he's gonna just cut, get those labs, get those dunks, uh-huh. second chance opportunities. I mean, you need guys like that, and when they're really, really good at their job, that's how they're in the league for thirteen years. So, so you know, it really sucks. What his two seasons with the Knicks? You know what he shot from three? Probably a lot, like no. really well. No, very little, twenty five percent. Oh. Yeah. And now he's now he's to towards a, 40. Yep. Developed into a 38% shooter. I mean, he is in the perfect scheme for him down there. Yep. Um, but yeah. But anyway, Trevor Ariza, 
unfortunately did not give us his best years, but he is still playing today and killing it. So let's move on to 2005 and drafted with the eighth overall pick. We have Channing Fry. Uh, also, he's still, still around, active in the league. What was that? He's had a very interesting career. He has had a very interesting career. Um, the most interesting part about his career is that just smack dab in the fucking middle of it, he missed a year uh, because he had an enlarged heart. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Side note, do you ever go on basketball reference and th- you notice the nickname of a player and you're mm-hmm. just totally blown away because nobody has ever <laughs> called the player that. If, if you scroll up to the top, Ch- Channing Fry's nickname, according to Basketball Reference, which I'm going to just start calling bullshit on a lot of these, uh, Channing Fry's nickname funny. is Buffet of Goodness. <laughs> there's just no chance what? that that's. There's just no chance. Who so, called him that? No, it, it's like with uh, Joe Johnson. If you go to his Basketball Reference page, one of his nicknames is Armadillo Joe. Or Armadillo Cowboy. Armadillo Cowboy. Nobody's oh, ever Armadillo called Cowboy. Yeah. But but anyway, back to uh, Channing's actual career. Yeah, I mean, the, the season he missed with the enlarged heart, he had a really good run with Phoenix uh, with those Nash teams. Um, yeah. So that, that was fun. That's kind of where he, I think that's where he really hit his peak. He only, you know, this is another Knicks rookie from that time period who stuck around for two years. Um, Channing Fry actually did give us some some decent play while he was around. Uh, you know, managed to develop into a you know pretty full much full time starter. Um, you know, one season shot decently from three. The next season, not at all. You know, that was also because of the times he was playing center mostly, and you know you weren't shooting three pointers as a center in two thousand five. Um, but you know, managed to be again decent defensively. Uh, you know, able to score, uh, you know, his mid range game has always been there for him. And yeah, I think that he, again, he hit a stride in Phoenix. That's when he kind of, you know, was able to start shooting the three a little bit more. He has one season here in 2009 where he shot. Yeah. 44% from three, uh, and 45% from the floor. I mean, he was just a good fit with all those players around him there. Um, let's see. Yep. And then he, he missed the year, uh, in 2012, 13, and then made his comeback, got traded to Orlando, uh, played a couple of good years in Cleveland. Seemed like that's where he was going to finish out. But since then has been traded to the Lakers along with Isaiah Thomas for a whole goodie bag of players. Um, and is not seeing much playing time there at all. So, uh, Channing Fry has had quite a career. It's been going on for a while. Uh, we'll see where he goes from here. Is he a free agent coming up? Probably. I mean, I think he was only on a one or a two year deal with Cleveland. So I think he's going to be hanging around. Yeah. So we'll see where he goes next. Um, but yeah, so Channing Fry, do you think he, you say he got better as time went on? Yeah, absolutely. I, not, not to make this, uh, redundant in any way. I just feel like, Almost, I, I mean, the next guy that we're going to discuss, I think we, he, he's probably one of the outliers. I just feel like a lot of these guys just bloomed immediately after. Right. So a lot of that is poor management on the Knicks side and, you know, impatient. Just, just tasty. 
Just yeah, hasty, easy. impatient, uh, you know, not exactly a, you know, like guys didn't exactly stick around the Knicks for very long in the organization. It was turbulent times for sure. So I could see players asking to be traded, getting traded, you know, not signing again. Um, you know, I, I don't blame a lot of these players at all. It was a not exactly a great situation to develop in. So uh, let's look on the brighter side. Talk about a guy who, God, this might even be a debate too, but David Lee was drafted the same year uh, with the 30th overall pick. And yeah, oh, it's almost his birthday. Look at that. Um, played, let's see, five seasons with the Knicks. He managed to average like 13 points a game. He would almost average 10 rebounds a game. Uh, was really the heart and soul of the Knicks for a couple of years. Like, if not necessarily the biggest star on the court at all times, he was definitely the most solid one. He was the one who stuck around for the most amount of time. He was the one that I think Knicks fans could really, you know, plant their flag and say, like, this is the guy that we have for the time being. We, you know, everything else kind of sucks, but, you know, at least David Lee is going to be solid. And he was... Eventually flipped to make room for Amari Stoudemire and then uh, won a title with Golden State, had some good years there. Uh, you know, ended out a couple of stints on some contenders at the end. But do you, what do you think was more primetime David Lee? Was that Knicks or Warriors, David Lee? Um, I'm going to actually say Knicks in my biased opinion. Mm-hmm. I think, I think. He peaked in terms of his role with the Knicks. He obviously had some very good years with us. Very, I mean, before he left, those last two years were pretty good. Um, he was developing before then. He was very young. I think Golden State obviously got his peak, like the the longer part of his peak. But I'm just going to buy a say because he was all we had. He was the number one option. Whereas there, he was sort of a developing piece well, he was sort of a piece around a bunch of developing pieces and that eventually turned into something special. He won a title there. So I think the correct answer is going to be golden state, but I'm biased and I just love David Lee. I lost my mind trying to, you know, hope that he would have been an all-star in that 2009, 2010 season in which he eventually did become one. Um, Just a lot of fun to watch. Uh, I think he had that 30, 20 game, with the uh, with the Knicks that year, so I, I'm just it, it's a biased and likely incorrect opinion, but I don't care. Yeah, no, I, I it's probably incorrect, and only because he had like, yeah, he had he did have like, God, he he got a good role with the Warriors at the beginning there. And yeah, like it got, you know, very much, uh, you know, minimized as time went on and Draymond Green started developing. But, you know, those first couple of years there, he, it was kind of him, you know, Steph wasn't necessarily a sure thing until, you know, David Lee's second or third year there. Um, you know, you looked at, you know, Monte Ellis was there at the beginning too. And then, uh, there was all the, the whole shakeup of the organization at that point, like, the Warriors were still kind of a laughing stock of a team when he got there. Uh, and I think he managed to help them add a little bit of star power to the team, uh, even if it was only in kind of a salary dump move for the Knicks. But 
he definitely was a big contributor to especially that first championship team and a couple of teams from there. And, and yeah, I, I, I think I got to give him still the golden state nod on this one. I got to say he got a little bit better after, I think he, he was just about to get into his prime, but I think he hit it with the warriors. Do you want to hear something that's poetic? Of course. I'm a, I'm a sucker for poetry. So he, he did hit his, his prime with golden state. I, I'm, I'm going to hold off. I'm going to hold on to my nostalgia of with course. this pick because as so you, many, as you should, this is what so, this so is many of these other picks are just simply going to be, they blossomed elsewhere. But what is poetic is that while his most meaningful games were played, his best games were played with golden state on April 2nd, which is three days from now, two days from now, um, 2010, he played at golden state with the Knicks. And that's when he posted his 37 point, 20 rebound, 10 assist, triple double, the 30 20 10 game. Posted it pretty much to end the season in his last season with the Knicks to then go off and play with the Warriors. See, I think the thing is with a lot of ex Knicks players that we really, um, you know, idolize and look up to as time goes on. Um, you know, they, they just, the reason why we do is because they left a little something with us. Like, David Lee left that little 37-point fucking 20-rebound 10 assist game. Um, you know, the I don't know why this is the example that's popping into my head, but Tony Douglas left us with nine three-pointers. So, like, you know, they, they got to leave us with the memory. Otherwise, we're like, what did you, you know, what did you do here? Well, what was it all for? Uh, because we know you didn't help us win. We haven't won anything in... God knows how long. So as long as you can just give us a little, a little bit of entertainment, a little bit of something that we can, uh, you know, get nostalgic about, we're gonna love you. Um, this is a guy who I can say pretty definitively had his best games as Nick. Um, oh, yeah, I'm skipping over Dijon Thompson, who, as fun as his name is, never played a game with the Knicks. Um, I'm going right to fucking 2006. Pick number 20, round one, Ronaldo Bachman come down to the stage. Ronaldo Bachman. The only time that we should be spending on Ronaldo Bachman is that second stint when he came back uh, during the Carmelo Anthony era, when he went fucking buck wild in the summer league. Mm-hmm. No summer league and preseason all star. He got yes. me a tune in every year. I I didn't give a shit. I just wanted to see Ronaldo Balkman dominate the preseason. The, the Staten Island native. Mm-hmm. He shot fifty one percent from the uh, from the field for his career. I mean, I feel like all he had was layups. I feel like that was it. He you was also just shot 17% from three. Uh, yeah, I feel like that's <laughs> it. Um, let's see. His first stint with the Knicks lasted for, or I guess altogether he played seven seasons and played 150 games for the Knicks and 71 games for the Nuggets. He put up four points a game and averaged, you know, three and a half rebounds a game. Uh, but you, if you don't know about Ronaldo Bachman in the preseason, like just look at how many times he put up 
at least 20 points and just put that team on his back to meaningless wins and then disappeared in the regular season. Correct. This dude is Michael Beasley while Michael Beasley was still figuring out who the fuck he was. Do you have anything good to say about Ronaldo Bachman? Not particularly. I just enjoyed his preseason summer league play and there was nothing else to discuss with him. Um, moving on to 2007, because <laughs> we can skip over Marty Collins. Um, sure much of the dismay of some of our TKW teammates, who I'm sure will uh, gripe about that, I'm sure. Um, Wilson Chandler, round one, pick 23 in 2007. Mm-hmm. Notable, uh, you know, lastly, for being included in the Carmelo Anthony trade, but provided a lot of. Uh, a lot of nice play during those, you know, early D'Antoni years. Yeah, I mean, he's been in Denver damn near a decade now. And that's insane to me. That's really, it is. that's insane to me. I always feel like every time I see him, I'm just like, wow, he's only been there for two years. It's going to be great when he starts playing, you know, taking off. How many years did it take you to convince yourself that he wasn't coming back to the Knicks? Oh, God. I, I went to at least I, until 2015. I was convinced probably, let me just look at the years here. Um, from 2000 and from the moment he was traded in 2010, 2011 mm-hmm. until probably 2014. Yeah. I, I think was, I went to 2015. I was, uh, I was convinced at some, somehow, some way we were going to either reacquire him or he was going to resign. I know he ended up resigning with Denver um, but I, I was just sure of it. I, I was think sure. He, was I think it was because he was the guy that I was most upset about losing in the Carmelo Anthony trade. Yeah. He signed his extension in, um, 2015 with Denver mm-hmm. and it was a four year deal. And I was just, he also didn't play in 2015, well, 16, which is interesting because he, he went to China, but yeah, you know what bothered me most. And, and to me, that's why I almost like to talk about them in a tandem. What bothered me wasn't he Losing him wasn't the worst part for me. It was losing him and having to lose the next guy on our list, Danilo Gallinari. Yeah, one or the other would have been fine by me. Because because even with that trade package, like, trading both those guys was where, like, that that broke the camels back for me. Yeah, other other than Melo, there was, like, no wings that came back in that deal. No. It, It just left them so depleted. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what got me. I was just like, I I don't know. I just thought at the time we didn't even consider Mello. When did we get in that trade? We got Billups, Mello, uh, Anthony Carter, Ronaldo Bachman, and Sheldon Williams and Sheldon yep. Williams forehead. Yep, and okay. Sheldon Williams top part of his forehead. <laughs> um, the five head. Yeah, but. Uh, that that's kind of what I was, I was upset about because both those guys I would never say they amounted to star levels that they, they kind of fell in that I almost I don't have a, a category for it but it's that they're they're not great but they're just really good they're not all stars but they're they're let not me, stars but they're like that let me put it like this I wanted the reason why I think Daniel Gallinari has been a better player over his entire career than Wilson Chandler has. And I think that from even from the point when they were traded in the uh, in the mellow deal. But I wanted Wilson Chandler to stay more because he was just I think he was going to be just that much more affordable. 
like I think it's kind of proved that over his career too. Like he signed the extension that I figured he was going to, like of a solid role player. Like he is probably, I feel like one of the most talented six men or seven seventh men that you're gonna get on your bench. Um and and I just felt like Gallinari as kind of proven over the years was going to get paid way more than he probably should have and was going to demand a role that was probably a little bit more than he should be getting. Um, I th- I just thought that Wilson Chandler was a great fit in a lot of different systems, and I think it's kind of proven to be right. Um, uh, any other uh, last warm warm memories from Wilson Chandler? Or was he, was he just always a guy that was there, and you were just always felt good about him being there? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, we were so like devoid of. Like I guess youthful scoring. We always had scores, but I felt like a lot of those guys were older and washed outside of like Nate Robinson and uh, Jamal Crawford. And I feel like everyone else we got were scorers, but were over the hill kind of. And with Wilson, I was like, look at this guy. He's instant offense. He's young. This is a guy you'd want to keep around forever. You know, Gallinari was playing, I think, bigger minutes at the time, but you know, they were sort of scoring in similar amounts. So for a while, I thought Wilson was going to be a better player. I just thought he had a higher ceiling perhaps. And then neither one of them really ever took, I mean, they got better for sure. I don't want to like discount what they've done. They got better for sure. They've had a lot of really good years in, in Denver. And um, I don't know. It just stinks. I, I really, I really did enjoy both those guys. I've rooted like quietly for them since they've been traded uh, I've always enjoyed them. Well, all right, let's let's kind of veer off of Wilson Chandler then, and let's look at our last memories of Daniel Gallinari here. Uh, we've been talking about him for a little bit now in conjunction with Wilson Chandler, so we don't have to uh, go too hard here, but Gallo, um, I think, is somebody that I feel good about saying we got the best out of Daniel Gallinari before he got traded. Um. Mm. I, I, I genuinely do. Because then you look at look at this early Denver career. Like he only played forty games his first forty three games his first year. He had his second year was pretty solid there. He played, you know, seventy games. He that I remember that year in twenty twelve, thirteen. That's when they got into the playoffs. Uh did they beat the Lakers that year? Like first round? Mm, I don't I, think so. Mm, I gotta look that up, look up that series again, but because I feel like that was Kenneth Fareed's rookie year. Um, but anyway, uh, he missed next year. You know, he had a really solid year there. Like, that's one of his best years. That might be his single best year of his career. Uh, although he gave, he gave a lot to Denver at the end. He missed a year from his ACL injury. He came back a little slow the next year after that, only playing in 59 games. Uh, the following year, he only played in 50 games. The next year, he only played, you know, 60 games, and then this year he's only played 19 games and for the Clippers, and he hasn't exactly fit, and that team's been going through a lot of different, uh, you know, formations as the year's gone on. But, you know, the first... I feel like Gallo's second, you know, first... Probably not his first year, but his second year, and, you know, that happy year that he spent before he got traded were just really solid for the Knicks. And it took him a long time to be able to get back to that level of productivity after he got traded. I mean, I, I will say, I, I I don't know that I agree that he 
we get the best of him. I, I don't think he has gotten like a wild amount better. He has gotten better, especially with his playmaking ability. I think in, in New York, he was more just one dimensional. It was just pretty much just a, a black hole, so to speak. If, if you're kicking it out to him, he was just, he was just shooting. And I, I mean, not, I'm not really going up the uptick in his assist numbers either, but just from watching him play, cause I have watched him play a lot. It's just like little things he does. Like he's been more aggressive later in his career. He's not just waiting to shoot. So, I mean, he goes to the rack more. He, he, you know, just moves the ball around more. He fits in with an offense a little bit better instead of camping out for shots. So in the sense that he's doing, you know, statistically, it looks mostly the same. He's also just been better as a whole since his, uh, since leaving New York. You know, so that's, eh, I mean, that's sort of where I'm at with it. of Jordan Hill playing in New York. I, re- much, I really don't. I really don't. I have no, nothing I, to add here. He, he, yeah, I mean, he was there for half a year. He played 24 games. I, I literally, he played, you know, 10 minutes a game. I have no, I, I, I got done. I got done. Yeah, because there is nothing. So let's move on. Yep. Um, this guy's fun. I, I yeah. have a lot of good memories uh, of these next two players on the list. Well, a lot of good memories, at least from one of them. Uh, Andy Ratton stunk. Let's just get that out of the on, way. Hold on one second here, because I'm on Andy Ratton's uh, basketball reference page. Did he go through training camp with the Raptors? Oh, he uh, did. I believe he did. He oh, absolutely did. That. Because I'm looking at him, and it's a very different looking Andy Ratton's on his basketball reference page right here. Yeah, he, I see him. He's got the beard and he's everything. He's got a big beard. Because uh, I just see the Raptors jersey on him. And it's, you know, it's the Nike logo and the uh, Suntra, oh, whatever logo they have on there. Um, Andy Robbins has played in five games as a Nick in his career. His career lasted five NBA games, uh, in which he shot 43% from the field and 25% from three. Uh, he had a web show with Landry Fields. That was cool. You know, yeah, ten internet days. Let's just move on to Landry Fields. Please. <laughs> uh, Landry Fields have had a good year and a kind of weird second year, but I really got, I was all in on the Landry Fields uh, bandwagon. I am, I've mentioned many times that I'm the proud owner of a Landry Fields jersey. Um, he shot almost 50% his rookie year with the Knicks. He was a really, you know, nice contributor for most of the year. Um, you know, managed to hold his own contribute a bit in the playoffs too. Um, the second year did not look as good. The, you know, the, he just, I just felt like he kind of fell apart. well, he kind of yeah, had a hot streak was, at the beginning and it just kind of went a little bit down. He was there. also pretty ill-fitting in a Carmelo Anthony. Yes. Base team. He was a little too bulky to be a, a small, with, to be a shooting guard with Melo. Right. With, with, 
with Amari, he fit well. You Plus, know, you had because... Tyson Chandler in there, too. And I know the league right. was still pretty big at that point, too. But, you know, it, it was it was a little it was a little bit too, uh, I guess, st- stagnant of a lineup, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, but, you know, Landry Fields, he, he had a good shooting year his first year. Uh, yeah, that was really the biggest drop off to his second year was that his his three point shot just kind of disappeared. Um, I also, as I'm kind of looking through here and I'm starting to remember too, he did not hold his own whatsoever in the playoffs, uh, his first year in New York or his second. Um, and now I have lots of memories coming through of him just being terrible. So that was me misspeaking there, but, um, yeah, Landry Fields, uh, you eventually got the bag from Toronto. I was a little upset when the Knicks didn't, uh, match it initially, but, you know, about five seconds later, I was just like, that's probably for the best. Uh, it, it for sure was. It absolutely was. And now he has a, I think he's doing some work with the Spurs now. He is. I don't think he's an assistant coach, but he's, he's within the organization. So, you know, good for Landry. Um, I don't know why with this guy that everyone thought that he was going to be, I felt like, I, I felt like a lot of people thought this was going to be the next great shooting guard in the league. Everyone thought a mod chopper was going to be Dwayne Wade or something, but it hasn't quite panned out that way. Has it? No, I mean, I think a lot of us got stuck in the potential of him because he came in as a defensive stalwart at the most difficult position to defend. And we saw that on a team that was a playoff team. And, uh, you know, at least for one season, seemed like they were a contender. And you sort of get enticed by that. And he became, you know, a good a good role player in New York mm-hmm. for a, for a winning team. And I think that's when you, you sort of get caught up in, okay, well, he's young, he's developing uh, on a good team, a winning team. Um, you know, well, maybe once his handles get better, he could be this. Maybe once his three-point shooting gets a little bit more consistent, he could be this. And the reality was he pretty much stayed exactly the same after like his second NBA season. And that was, he was just a good on-ball defender and nothing more, nothing less. Yeah, it's, I think that's kinda... a, spot, a spotty shooter, but... Oh, he could not shoot. No, he... It, it, he, he, had, he would just go through stretches, but mostly just was not a good shooter, but... He kind of developed a little bit of range. Um, here's a fun fact for you. His second year in New York... Uh, he shot better from the three-point line than he did from the actual field. Uh, shot 40% from three, yet only shot 39% from the field. Um, th- that was kind of just a... That kind of shows you what kind of player you're going to get with Chumper. He was also that... Uh, he tore his ACL his rookie year, right? In the playoffs? I yeah, believe so. I believe it was... Yeah, it was against the Heat. Yeah, that would be that year. Um yeah, so Shump uh, was eventually traded to Cleveland with J.R.S. Smith. And, you know, I think it was just kind of at the point where we had drafted Tim Hardaway Jr. That whole three-headed shooting guard monster was not going anywhere. Everyone seemed pretty dejected. It was pretty clear that the Knicks were going to suck again. Uh, it wasn't 2013 anymore, and that was 
the point when, you know, it, they didn't make sense with Phil Jackson. I don't think he really cared for them. He shipped them off to Cleveland. Um, he has since been traded to the Sacramento Kings, uh, where he has not played a game yet. He is dealing uh, plantar fasciitis in his foot. And most recently has gotten a reality show. You know that? Yeah, I did see that. He and uh, Tiana Taylor have their own reality show now. Also, fun fact that I found out today. Did you know that he named his daughter Iman? Yeah, it's Iman Shumper Jr. I had no idea. I had no idea. Anyway, moving on to next guy on our list who somehow made a, uh, a turnaround, came back home. Uh, also has one of those funny nicknames as he is listed on basketball references, Grover. Um, I, is, I, I, I see it, but there's, that's not his nickname. This is of course, Tim Hardaway jr. That we're talking about here. Um, who played two years for the New York Knicks before getting traded to the Hawks on draft day in 2015 for Jaron Grant. Uh, and of course he currently played through the Knicks as he came back around and signed a pretty lucrative deal with us. But uh, I would, here's an interesting case because I look at him and I feel like he's a guy who I, you know, it's hard to tell with him because he's still pretty young into his career. If he's played his best games at the Knicks or not, but uh, certainly his first stint was not, um, I feel like he kind of, reached a bit of a peak with the Knicks that he didn't seem like he was going to break through. And I was all for the Knicks making that trade on draft day to get Jaron Grant in there. Uh, but we did see him transform his game under Mike Budenholzer and flame out and kind of build up from the bottom again. And his first year back in New York has been a little bit shaky. Um, he's missed some time, obviously. He's only played in 54 games so far. Season's not over yet, of course. But um, I... I don't know. I, I feel better about Tim Hardaway Jr., the player now than I did in you know his first couple of stints in New York, but I still wonder what kind of player he'll develop into long-term. Um, how are you yeah, feeling I mean, on Timmy? I mean, he's got to work on his shooting. That's pretty much all that I have as an issue with him. Um, defensively, he's improved with KP on the floor, with Timmy on the floor, and I think most of those lineups if not all of them were the most effective two-man lineups that the Knicks had outside of, I think, Frank and uh, uh, KP together, if I'm not mistaken. But he, when the team was healthy and KP was his dominant defensive self, like, he was a really good second defender. You know, a really good, uh, well, he was an improved perimeter defender. So I'm really not worried about him there. He has an improved playmaking Ability. This isn't to say he's dishing out seven or eight or nine assists. This is simply to say that instead of charging to the rim like he did trying to shoot a contested aggressive layup in his first two years with the Knicks, now when he drives in, he might kick it out, and instead of an assist, that might be a hockey assist or just keeps the ball moving. So he just has a, a better floor awareness than he did the first time that we saw. So Yeah, he's, he's playing a, he's a lot more minutes too. Yeah, um, he's a better he's a better team player. So, I, my only gripe with him really is his shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's a, he came into the league supposed to be a shooter. You know, you can't then shoot forty one percent and thirty one percent. 
Yeah, that's not that's not going to cut. So I mean, I think a lot of it has. I think a lot of that this year has to do with him, uh, you know, dealing with injuries, and also, you know, a lot of it is he's playing, you know, even five more minutes per game that he was playing with the Hawks last season. Right. Um, you know, that's enough time to kind of, you know, have have a little bit more struggle in, and I think I, you know, it's gonna it's gonna take some more time of him getting comfortable. I would say next year is really going to be a big breaking point for Tim Hardaway Jr. and how we kind of evaluate him moving forward. Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, in the second round, using picks acquired from the Tyson Chandler trade, is Clee Anthony Early. Uh, now, when Clee Anthony Early came into the league, he was supposed to be touted as being um, NBA ready. Like that was his real big calling card for him. Is that yeah, he was a second round draft pick, but this guy's got an NBA ready body. He can play at small forward. He's six eight, two hundred ten pounds. Um, you know. That was really all we heard about him, though. We didn't ever really hear that he could do anything well. Um, I think a lot of fans kind of clamored for him to be Melo's protege. Um, and I think that, you know, that was, again, the idealistic Knicks fan in many of us. But he never quite developed in New York. He only played 56 games over two years. He got shot during one of those years in a really crazy incident uh, of him getting robbed, leaving a club. Um, but you know, he was a likable player. He was a good, you know, I guess he was good to take a, a waiver on, but yeah, just, uh, never quite got there, huh? No, just, uh, just another guy who just didn't develop once he got to the league for a, a multitude of reasons, I'm sure, but he just, it just didn't happen. You know, he's supposed to, he's supposed to be a shooting guard, supposed to be NBA ready. And he just he just brought nothing to the table, unfortunately. So um, it stunk. I mean, he was on a good Wichita State team. Uh, I think that was the same. Was that the same team Ron Baker was on? Uh, yeah. No, he he played, and it was also uh, Fred Van Fleet was on that team too. Right. So I mean, they it was a very good college team, and you see that, and a guy who's supposed to be NBA ready, you think. I, I don't know. You get something from him, yep. and they just—they just got nothing. So it is what it is. He played in the G League this year, uh, Rio Grande Valley Vipers. So, you know, hopefully he can at least make a decent career in the G League. You know, continue on playing as a basketball player. It's really great to see him continuing to play basketball after being involved in an incident like that a couple of years ago. Right. Um, so, you know, I'm still hoping for the best for Clay Anthony early. We'll see what happens, but it's a shame he didn't pan out. Um, also, I like his tattoo. Never really took the time to take a look at his tattoo, but he's got a nice chest piece. He's got the wings poking out on the shoulders. I like that. Yeah, yeah. It's a good work. Good work. Shouts to that uh, tattoo artist. Um, Another guy who everybody was really, really, really hoping would pan out 
was one of the Anetokounmpo brothers, the elder of the two. Tanasi Anetokounmpo. Oh, he stunk. Oh, he stunk, man. He managed to play in two games for the Knicks, uh, a couple of preseason games, uh, some summer league, but just, I don't, he just didn't, what, he just didn't have the cuts, right? I mean, that's really all it was. He just couldn't keep up with the players at this level. He, he just simply could not. He just quite simply could not. I was wondering um, if he was going to have a nickname next to him on his uh, basketball reference no, Claire, Clarence not. Gaines, I remember after they drafted him, they liked him because he was a tenacious defender. So they called him uh, ten, tenacious I don't even want you. You know, gotta finish. I don't want to. I really. I don't want to butcher the name. Um, I think that you know this is about the same time that Giannis was really turning into, yeah. I mean, not the player that he is today, but he was starting to bud and turn into the guy that you you know you could get some hope for. Um, so I think you were kind of like, you gotta take a waiver on the brother too, see if there's some family magic going around there. And I think you know it's the same thing with the, you know the Plumlee family and all the other, you know, the Gasols and everything, but they actually worked out. Um, you know, the, the, if one sibling's going to make it, they can kind of lead the way for the others. I guess it's even Jarrah Smith and Chris Smith to a lesser degree, but I think that was kind of worth taking the shot on. He's an interesting player, lanky forward, like his brother still. Uh, but yeah, just not, uh, cut out to make it in this league. um, you know what's really, really nice? We get to talk about Chris Stops now. That it's, is good. He is the next draft pick up on our list and the number four pick in the 2015 draft. Chris Stops Porzingis, who is currently out with an ACL tear. We know this. You know this. This is, uh, I think we can talk about it openly at this point. Uh, this is our unicorn. This is a guy who's still developing. The guy's put in, you know, three increasingly better NBA seasons as he's gone along, only to, you know, end up tearing up his leg this year. But we'll see what he's like when he comes back. But I, I, I guess I don't know. What one more do we? What do we have to say different about Kristaps here? Why has uh, no. Kristaps worked out as compared to all of these failed draft picks so far? Has Kristaps worked out so far? Am I even right in saying that? Yeah, no, he's worked out so far. It's just because we, the thing with the draft and people get angry when a guy who was supposed to be great isn't great for whatever reason. And drafting is, it's a lot of dumb luck and it's a lot of, okay, we see something that could be great here. This could also blow up in our face badly, but we want to take the risk. And KP is like the epitome of a, a gigantic risk. He's a gigantic gangly frame at 7'3". He weighed roughly 20 pounds when he came into the league. And, you know, that's that's a lot to take on is, is a guy with that thin of a frame, that long, sort of a freak build. Is, is that alone from a physical standpoint, is he going to be able to keep up in the NBA? Is, is he going to get worn down? Um, maybe is he going to get injured, which in a sort of a freak accident he he did but you know it's that's kind of what it was is, is okay well he can shoot a little bit but he's long he's tall he's pretty athletic and he's very young if everything goes right we could really be hitting a home run here and that's kind of what happened they gambled correctly 
You know, and, a lot of the other picks that the Knicks had, I, I felt were very safe picks. They, these weren't like, these weren't a lot of, I don't know, hardcore gambles. You that's know, true. A lot of that's times, a, a, lot, a lot of times we didn't have picks to begin with, or they were second rounders. So, you know, when you finally get your chance back at the top, that's why like people, uh, whether or not you want to give the credit to Phil Jackson, he, he was at least involved in decision-making. I know Clarence Gaines really pushed for him and, Clarence Gaines is one of Phil's guys, so it is what it is. But um, yeah, I mean they they pushed for it, they got them, and and they took a gamble, and you know they they nailed it. So uh, I think his be- injury or not, and I know the the point of this pod is it, have they played their best basketball at the Knicks? And uh, he's too young. There's no way he played his best basketball those first two and a half years, the first season behind. Carmelo, the second season behind Carmelo and Derrick Rose. Uh, he was having a great year this year, so I, I don't know. I, there's no way to me. I think he's going to be come back and be fine. There's a yeah. lot of good basketball left here for him. I agree, too. And, you know, the problem is, like you said, we're, we were hoping everything would go well. Everything has not gone well, obviously. He's torn his ACL. Everything else, though, has gone pretty good. He had, you know, he got into a bit of a slump as the year went on. There's still... A lot that has to be done on the player's side and on management side to really figure out how to most effectively use Kristaps and how to, you know, keep him healthy as his career goes on. But I agree with you. He has a lot of good basketball left in him. The guy is 22 years old. Um, you know, we still, you're, and I, I really like what you said that he's our gamble pick. He's a gamble that's paid off. The Knicks have made some other gambles that have been really poor in the past, and so we've played it safe for the last couple of years. Um, and it's been a lot of second-rounders, and it's kind of hard not to play it safe in those situations. Um, but this is, you know, this is the one. This is supposed to be the one that that works. Um, and we're just going to have to see where where we go from, with Chris Stops from here. Kind of uncharted territories, but this is, this is phase two. You know, we're at least yeah. we're at least moving along the timeline here. This is phase two for sure. Really, really quick before we go to Frank Nealakina, do we want to talk about Jaron Grant at all? I know he's no, not a Knicks no. draft pick, but he was he was traded no. here. He plays rookie year here. He, no, he I, hasn't done anything. Here is something interesting, though. I do feel like that we've gotten the best basketball out of him for how he's played in his career. Um, maybe very early on in the year of his rookie year as a Nick before he flamed out. Maybe that was just pointless optimism, but uh, he is not even playing for the Bulls right now. I think pointless optimism is what we can... Okay. Chalk Jerry and Grant up too. But, no, let's, let's just move on to Frank then. But but Frank Nilakina, I think, is correct optimism. So bright future. Uh, potentially. I, I, I think so. I'm at uh, the point I rationalized this the other day. Um I was watching Frank play and I said, I feel good enough about Frank Nilakina now where I I feel like I can confidently say he will not be a bust. I don't think I don't know I don't, where his ceiling is, but I I really don't think he's going to be a bust. I don't think he's going to be a bust either. A bust to me is like 
is sort of Jerry and Grant. Like yes. you, you bounce or you, you bounce. Even Moody is is on yeah, that Moody line is right a better now. example of a bust. I would feel like you, you know what I mean. Like a, a guy who's a lottery pick who's bouncing around to different teams, teetering in and out of rotations. That's you know how long are they really going to be in the league after that? Um, to me, Frank isn't going to be a bust solely off of his physical traits. He's 19 and he's already a very good defender. You know, he's six, six with a gigantic wingspan of, I think it's over seven feet. So I mean, no, he has just, a seven one wingspan. It's ridiculous. Seven one. Sorry. So just off of his physical tools and what he's good at already and the size that he's at, I can't see him being worse than, I mean, what a seventh, eighth man defensive specialist. Hmm. I feel like you could bounce around the league. I mean, you could make a living out of that. You could hang around for a while, but I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I don't want to ever say that I'm sold on a guy this early, but I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged by what we've seen defensively. I'm encouraged by the little flashes that we've seen offensively. So I, I'm encouraged is the word. I am not sold a thousand percent, but I'm very encouraged for him going forward. Yeah, me too. I mean, the defense already looks like it's there. You know, and we've seen a little bit of deep cut defensive statistics come out recently. Um, I saw a good chart of him, uh, you know, the amount of minutes he's locked up, you know, really quality point guards for has been encouraging to me. Um, it's, he, he's a case that I don't, I really, I don't know what he's going to end up being uh, offensively how much of his own shot he's going to be able to create moving forward. All of that's still pretty up in the air. I feel confident enough about him being a, you know, a versatile enough player that's going to be able to play in a system at least, uh, be able to move the ball very well and be able to be a legitimate, uh, you know, all-star defensive talent. Um, you know, all, all defensive talent, I should say. I could see, I could definitely, I see him being a more, uh, you know, all defense team that I see him being, you know, anywhere near all NBA or anything like that. But uh, I, I feel encouraged that he could eventually hit that ceiling at one point. Um, okay. Do we want to spend any real time on Damian Dotson here? He's looked all no. right this year. Right. Yeah, I don't, I don't have enough to go off of. I don't know. Yeah. Doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't play enough minutes and he doesn't play consistently enough for me to actually have a judgment. I'd like to believe that the tiny, tiny bits and pieces that we've seen are meaningful in any way, but I don't want to, I don't know. I, I honestly don't have an opinion one way or another. How, why is he not playing in the D league more or the G league more? Sorry. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, maybe they just, they feel he's above it. They want to try to develop him a little bit more here. That's all I can think about. Hmm. I I don't know. Like, I just wonder, is, is are they not utilizing the G League because they don't entirely believe in him as a player long term, or are they not using the G League because they think he is past the point of needing the G League? That's what I, that's the kind of question that I'm. I, I would I would err more towards I think he's just past the point of needing it. I just think. Okay. They don't know quite where to use him yet either. So I think they just prefer to keep him close to the actual team and, and work out with him there. Yeah. Th that's my hunch anyway. Like you're saying, it's just it's just too small of a sample to really see what Damian Dotson's gonna be moving forward. He's not, you know, shooting particularly well. Um, 
he's honestly got uh you know similar statistics to what uh you know Shumper was putting up at certain points and stuff, but um you know, he, he's just a wait and see player. If he can develop a little bit defensively, I think that helps his case a little bit. If he can learn to shoot a little bit better, that's even more. But I don't you know what more do you really want out of him? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Can I tell you something that's even more exciting than all of these players who just went through tonight? What's that? I just saw my first Dita Gregorius start spreading the news tweet of the year. Oh, yeah, I am. Uh, it, it's time. It's, it's time. time. We struggled. It was a hard year, all. man. We struggled through yet another sad next season, and I'm just absolutely this one felt worse. delighted. This one, this one was because this one was pretty good for a little while. This one had this season had some merit for a while, and then it was just completely stripped of us the minute after Chris stopped tore his ACL. Like it was ripped from our fucking chest. It hit you know it hit us everywhere. It just like it was it it just felt like the like the ceiling had shattered. Like that was there there was there was just nothing left. So. And even at that same time was the point when you realized that the uh, the Rangers dynasty was done too. Did you know? All right, just, just since we're on New York sports right now, did you see some of the crazy uh, Rangers stats that came up in the last couple of days? I did not. So the New York Rangers just played in their first uh, meaningless regular season game in a long time, uh, meaning that they were eliminated from playoff contention. Now they missed the playoffs in 2010, but they missed the playoffs on the last game of the season. So every game that they played that year was still, you know, meaningful to trying to make the playoffs. But uh, the Rangers were mathematically eliminated from playoff contention for the first time since the 2005-6 season. The Blue mm-hmm. Shirts will not will play in a regular season game after having been eliminated from playoff contention. This span went 1,026 games. Uh, in which they ranked six in the NHL in wins over that time. They were the only team not mathematically eliminated from playoff contention prior to the start of the season in that time. Uh, they had two division titles. They won the President's Trophy as a NHL's most winningest team at one point, 11 playoff appearances in 12 years, seven consecutive playoffs, a Stanley Cup final run, obviously, um, 129 playoff games. See some other good stats in here. Um, did you know right, that was Henrik Lundqvist's first meaningless regular season game like two days ago? That's gross. Isn't that fucking insane? Like, he has 801 career regular season appearances. He's got 430 wins, 273 losses, and 82 uh, overtime losses. Put up really good stats. All, Rangers all-time leader in wins, shutouts, and appearances by a goaltender. And last night was his, or two nights ago, was his first meaningless game as an NHL goaltender. The last time the Rangers played when they were already eliminated from playoff contention was April 3rd, 2004 at Washington. This has been a tough year. It, it has. The teams are falling apart. So the Yankees dynasty is very, very, very much needed here. Yes. Bringing it back. All right, buddy. This has gone on long enough. 
Thanks for sticking with me. No problem. Uh, thanks to all of you for sticking with us, too. Um, you can catch me. Uh, I guess we'll just do some Twitter plugs here because it's been a while. At Wish I Was Corbo. That's Kyle Maggio uh, at Maggio MBA. Thanks for coming back and hanging out with us after we took a little bit of a break. I know that Kyle and I both had a couple of things in our personal lives that were keeping us from the pod. And it was just easier to take a few weeks off here. So appreciate you all. We're going to get back to doing all that same stuff. Um, we still have to do our uh, T-shirt giveaway that we talked about like months ago. Uh, so sorry to all of you for life getting in the way of that. But what you want to make this the last weekend? Uh, can we do? Can we make Monday the official day we announce somebody? Yeah, yeah. Let's okay. Do that. Let's announce this on the pod now. A couple of times we just forgot to say anything, and then yeah, you know, shit happened. So Sunday, we're gonna we still have all the old submissions that went in, so don't don't worry about that. Sunday is your last day to get stuff in. Sunday at midnight when we wake up at Monday and we're at our desks at our real jobs, and we're going to ignore doing our work for a little bit, and we're going to decide on a winner in some way that makes sense to us that we have not decided on yet. So get your get your. Uh, yeah, subscribe to the pod. Send us a screenshot. Uh, if you're already subscribed, just unsubscribe and resubscribe and send us a screenshot of that. And uh, you could win some very fabulous merchandise designed by the world-famous Merchman MBA Bailey Carlin. Um, head to the nextwall.com for your last end-of-season stuff. Uh, catch Jonathan Macri, our newest addition to the team, on the post-game periscopes most nights of the week. Um, he is a guy you want to go to for conversation. He is somebody you should be listening to. Catch Matt Spendley uh, hosting the TKW podcast whenever we are not hosting the TKW podcast. And, you know, keep up with Nick's film school. I don't need to tell you guys to do that. You love JB. Um, I think that's about all. Kyle, thanks. It was great to hop back on with you. I'll talk to you next week. No problem, buddy. Take it easy.